We've all heard of the red teams and blue teams when it comes to cybersecurity, but what about the purple team, the yellow team, or the blue team? What are those? In February of 2020, Louis Kremen introduced the InfoSec color wheel to the security community. The wheel expanded upon April Wright's work on bringing builders into the security team. The value of the wheel is to show the various types of security teams, seven in all, and the role each plays in security. Jasmine Henry brought the wheel to my attention last month. As she and I talked, we realized the InfoSec wheel can be used as a thought exercise to show beginning cybersecurity professionals the various roles they can play within the community. This led to the discussion of careers in cybersecurity and what the near future looks like. In this broadcast, we'll evaluate the wheel, talk through each of the seven personas, and give our thoughts on the value of each role, how it works with the other roles, and the basics of what each provides. Let's figure out what your primary color is. Stay tuned. This is the OWASP podcast series. The OWASP podcast series is supported by the Open Web Application Security Project, home to over 240 community-driven security projects, including the OWASP Top 10, the Web Security Testing Guide, and the Security Knowledge Framework Projects. And by Jupiter One, helping visualize, secure, and govern your cyber asset universe. I'd like to hear your career path. Where did you get started and how did you follow that connection of networks to get where you are now? I am a first-generation college graduate. And when I was 18, uh, which was 2006, I really didn't see a pathway. I knew I was interested in security, but I didn't have a ton of knowledge of security careers outside of defense. FBI agents doing doing security things with computers was kind of um, my knowledge at the time. During college, I worked in really kind of a yellow team capacity. Um, I wrote a lot of SQL in my college internship and um, ended up falling into some kind of program management roles after that, which was still in the yellow team arena. I then moved over to green team um, where I was a program management for a huge um, kind of cloud native rollout at a uh, major utility. And by that time, I'd kind of recognized that I had a huge interest in, in more specific things like risk management um, and that I aspired to be a CSO. So I went to grad school for security analytics and then have been combination of, of white, orange, and blue uh, primarily ever since um, in my last role as a security director um, at a cloud-native startup and my current role as a field security director at another cloud-native startup. One of the things that you and I have been talking about for the last couple of weeks, Jasmine, is this idea of the InfoSec wheel that was created by April and Lewis. When did you first see the wheel? You know, I think it must have been about May 2021. And I was going to speak to a class at University of Washington, graduating seniors who were taking a kind of secure code within the computer science department about different career pathways in InfoSec. 
It's an interesting way to think about it. When you look at the wheel, it's interesting because I think most people in the industry, when they get started, think of security almost as a gateway or as a policeman or something. But this is broken down into six major categories and then one category in the center that describes the different possible pathways to security. Um, I think that a lot of folks who are aspiring to break into security kind of think about roles in blue team, um, you know, kind of the security operations center roles, the defenders, or red team, which is offensive security or pen testers. And they don't realize that there's, you know, other pathways, especially now that there's a movement towards secure DevOps, DevSecOps, also kind of security by design and default, really considering security at every stage of the product lifecycle. As you say, I think most people who have been in the industry even a short amount of time have heard of red and blue teams. But now I'm looking at green and yellow and orange and purple and white. Let's kind of walk through the wheel. If you'll start with like the red team, because I think people have heard of breakers and defenders. Let's start with the red team. Uh, describe what a red team is. Sure. Um, so red team are kind of what one might think of as, as ethical hackers. They are qualified independent security testers who kind of sit outside of the infrastructure that they're testing so that they can objectively see what they can break. Um, and this can take the form of you know, quarterly pen tests, monthly vulnerability scans. They are basically kind of testing without knowledge of, of the specific configurations that others you know, inside the infrastructure might have. The first time I really got close to the idea of red teams, I went to see Shannon Leitz, who uh, runs the red team at Intuit. One of the things that Shannon does, which I have to laugh out loud, is she calls a specific team, an engineering team or a development team, and says, on Monday, the red team's going after you. So she's giving them a heads up. We're going to come and get you on Monday. And so it puts everybody in panic mode on Friday night through the weekend. Have you heard of anything like that? You know, there is some amazing red teams out there. Um, and I think that a lot of red teamers have this really wonderful breaker mentality. You know, they've been trying to break systems since, you know, often junior high, high school, as well as, as folks who kind of, you know, land on this career path later. Um, you know, one of the my favorite red team exercises I've heard of in the last year was a red team that dumped a bunch of fake credit card data into their company's Salesforce instance because they hypothesized that, you know, perhaps the sales and marketing team wouldn't be looking at that system as critically. So they were basically simulating kind of a financial data exfiltration scenario and they succeeded. And it, it really kind of provided a great example to the rest of the company that every system can be an attack vector. When we think of the red team as defenders, I'm sorry, as breakers, the red team as breakers, we go over to the blue team then and say, these are defensive security, the defenders. How does that relate to the red team when we start talking about the blue team? Well, you know, they are securing the systems that the red team's breaking. One kind of major blue team role is a security operations center, a SOC analyst, who are analyzing threats through a security incident and event management system. 
Um, and I think that kind of security engineers, security architects, and security admins would also fall within blue team. You know, the individuals that are provisioning access to system, creating policies, and, you know, evaluating new vendors, like these are all really defensive security actions. I think as people are just getting started in their InfoSec career, I think that's the default that everybody goes to in their mind is they don't give it the word blue team, but that's what they perceive security is. I think that that is absolutely true. Although there's also, you know, I think there's a lot of interest towards red team careers because, you know, pen tester is often perceived as the coolest job, you know, the most badass job that a person can have. <laughs> yes. I think that blue team is, is definitely what we traditionally think of as a security career. You know, a lot of folks from kind of military intelligence backgrounds will perceive that or will pursue, excuse me, the, the, the blue team path to continue doing kind of threat research. In the wheel that April and Lewis created here, there's a purple team in between. Is that coincidental that, that the purple team uh, integrating defense tactics with offensive results? Is it coincidence that's between the red and blue team or is there a purpose in that? I think there's definitely a purpose. There's been a lot of kind of attention and discussion around purple team um, in the past few years that I view as a massively positive thing. You know, it's not just isolated security, but I think that organizations in general can really get better about learning from things they're finding. So purple teamers exist to make sure that the organization is taking what the red team's learning and, and acting on it, making meaningful improvements. And that can take a lot of forms. You know, pen test reports is one major thing that companies can learn from. Often for compliance, they'll need to fix certain things before they can pass their next audit based on what the pen testers found. But, um, you know, something I was talking about with, with Jupiter One security team this morning is that vulnerability scanners, you know, guard duty over AWS, these things can have thousands of findings a day. So there is a massive job associated with kind of sorting through and figuring out what needs to be come an action item is a huge one as well. It's interesting, Jasmine, that you mentioned that because I, I go back very quickly in my mind when you said there's so many results. If you remember the target breach, one of the problems with the target breach is they were notified that there was a problem, but it was within a report of like 60 or 80,000 findings. And there's no way that you manually go through this. So how are we going to take a report like this and actually get something defensible out of it? Well, you know, I think that's a good question. <laughs> it's definitely tied to why we do need purple teamers. The red team, in order to be independent, in order to be objective, they can't necessarily have the knowledge of the infrastructure in order to be able to discern what is truly a valid finding. Like, oh, that is a mission critical system. We need to act on that, you know, which is, which is why you need purple teamers. Um, and I think that there's also an element where with the scale of today's cloud native infrastructures, you really need to introduce as much automation as you can, uh, really continue to refine your rule sets so that you're not just being bombarded with a constant stream of false positives. The other thing that I've heard that's being done too here with the red teams and the blue teams is we need to understand the tools that the adversaries are using so that we can understand how they are infiltrating the systems. 
and be able to work with an understanding of the adversary tool set. Absolutely. There was an ESG study uh, earlier this year that really kind of emphasized the fact that threat actors are using automated tools to discover attack surfaces and vulnerabilities. I think the kind of natural conclusion from that is that blue teams and purple teams and red teams all really need to introduce as much automation, automated discovery, automated discovery of assets and relationships between assets as they possibly can, because as an industry, we can't afford to be 10 years behind threat actors. One of the things that you said to me last week, and it really resonated, was when an adversary is looking at your system, nothing is out of scope. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. Um, and I think that it's it's relatively easy to really create a narrow scope for audits, but that doesn't really have an impact on your overall security posture. Well, it comes back to the whole idea that compliance doesn't equal security. It's almost become a meme <laughs> that that's the way we need to start thinking about compliance is a checklist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're secure. We move around the wheel here. The, the one next to the red team is the orange team. Facilitate interaction and education. And just as a reminder to the listeners here, we're talking about the different types of security professionals in a broad sense. And what we're trying to do is give you a taste to see what resonates with you so that you can kind of choose a pathway that you want to go. So the orange team, facilitate interaction and education. Where does that come from, Jasmine? Well, I think that, you know, a huge part of the security team's job is educating other users. Annual training is often not enough in an organization to prevent insecure behaviors, to prevent folks from writing down their passwords on sticky notes or clicking on phishing emails. Um, I think as an industry, we're discovering that education is really kind of a continuous effort. It's, it's a big responsibility of the security team to, to continuously educate, measure what's working, measure you know, impact, and, and iterate. Following up on that, isn't it the responsibility of the people who build the systems to make it easy to do the right thing? Do we really need all of this training if it's built properly? to do the right thing? I, that's a complicated question. And I think it's an important question. Um, Netflix introduced the concept of the paved road um, in the last few years, which is that it should be easy for users to do the right thing. So absolutely, you know, the blue team and the, who's defending systems and the teams that are developing systems, I think absolutely have a responsibility to make secure behaviors as easy as possible, really remove friction from end users. But I think that the Orange team has a responsibility to educate defenders and developers on, on what defines ease of use for end users, to understand end user behaviors and kind of act as, as translators. There's an element under Orange team of facilitate, you know, so they have a responsibility to facilitate conversations between teams and kind of triage the flow of information based on what they're learning from users and customers too. On the flip side of that too, we need to start making it hard to do the wrong things. <laughs> because as I was talking to Aubrey Stern in London a while back, what she said is that if I'm a developer and you make it hard for me to do something, I'm just gonna find a way around it. And that seems to be the pervasive thing here is that 
if you make it hard, we'll work around it. Why not make it easy for me to do the right thing? Easy for me and you to say sitting here behind a microphone. How do you make something easy to do, especially in this context? That's, you know, that's a great question. And I think, you know, a huge question that security teams are discussing every week. Um, you know, I can point to a, a few examples. Um, you know, I know some organizations are finding that folks hate the authenticator apps and are trying to bypass requirements to do MFA. And as a result, they've rolled out um, hard keys, you know, almost like little USB sticks for really speedy authentication would be one example of making it easy. Introducing guardrails along the kind of uh, development pipeline where developers are kind of almost herded towards making secure choices and doing the right kinds of checks is another example. And also, you know, being able to demonstrate the value of security to executives makes it less painful and easier for executives to allocate appropriate amounts of budget to security. You know, Jasmine, I do question in a sincere way the value of education. How many times can you tell people not to click on a link in an email? How many times can you say, don't use sticky notes or write down your passwords in a notebook? If that's considered education, it's not working. Well, I think that you're right. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the, the concept of suicidal kangaroos? Please go. <laughs> so there was some essentially biologists in Australia who discovered that there was a specific percentage of the kangaroo population who did not have the ability to learn to not run in front of cars and traffic. It was about 10% of kangaroos, 90% of kangaroos, for whatever reason, whether it was nurture or nature had an instinct that getting in, in traffic was bad and could be life-threatening, but a certain percentage of the, of the population really wasn't able to learn that and would often wind up in front of a fast moving car. And it's, it's kind of dark, but there's an analogy there for um, security, which is that a certain percentage of users, and it may be 10%, studies show it's probably a little bit more, um, are not going to respond to training and awareness. And that's where guardrails and the paved road come in. From watching people and hearing the horror stories, my intuitive guess is that it's much, much higher than 10%. There is a real problem when the system itself can't identify something as obvious as a phishing scheme. I shared with our security team earlier that I fell for a phishing simulation that I had set up earlier this year. And you fell for your own fish? I really did. <laughs> and if you look at the context, it was an email that you know, it simulated email that was sent from like accounting at my former employer. And my, my former employer had added like 70 employees in three months. And we were seeing all these new distros pop up. So it really seemed like, you know, something that was within the realm of possibility that we now had an accounting distro email. <sighs> I think there's a couple things to kind of take away from that. Knowing what's normal, it can be difficult in a fast growth organization under remote work conditions. We can all kind of fall for it. Again, we really just need to create process and, and safeguards to, to require folks to validate requests that are sent over email and stuff. Let's move on then to the yellow team. When we think about the, the trilogy here, you've got defenders, breakers, and now we have builders. So software coders and architects. 
This is an area where a lot of people, when they go into computer science, this is where they think about going, but do they think about it in the context of security? I don't know, but I think that, you know, one lesson the industry is really learning is that security can't be an afterthought. It can't be tacked on to a product once you've released it. Um, and there's in fact studies from Poneman that show that it's incredibly expensive to release an application and then try to, you know, engineer security after the fact. Security teams are never going to have enough employees where they can handle everything on their own, nor should they. Um, I think that we need to embed security champions and security experts into different teams. That includes the product development lifecycle. In today's world, every company is a technology company. Every company is developing a software or technology or applications. They need to have security as early in this process as possible. That includes security-minded pro uh, product managers who are thinking about threat modeling and secure requirement gathering. That includes folks who are writing secure code, folks who are checking secure code, writing security unit tests, just making sure that security is, is part of every, every part of the uh, kind of CICD process. The thing that stands out for me in that, Jasmine, is that I don't think people that come into the industry at the beginning level understand the impact of rework on the entire system. That oh, it's painful. Oh, yeah, it's more than painful. It's expensive. It's yep. time consuming. It's a resource burn. Everything that you try to stay away from is in rework. Yes. And tech debt can accrue so quickly. It's really unreal. Although tech debt would kind of probably fall more under green team, which is what you and I might think of as, as DevOps. Those are the folks that enhance security automation with design and code. creating. Well, let's go to green team then. We're, we're yeah. That part of the wheel. Go ahead. Um, well, I think of, of green team as the, as the folks that are, you know, operating the, uh, the pipelines to secure, deploy things securely um, and making sure that the pipeline architecture and the process of deployment is, is secure. In the middle of the wheel, you have almost a pseudo Venn diagram as a circle, which is called the white team, and it overlaps all of the other six teams. What's the significance of that? Well, white team maybe your you know CISO or, or security director, it can often be leadership. Um, and then it also can be kind of the JRC function. If a company has defined a compliance function that's, that's separate from security and the fact that it overlaps, you know, symbolizes the fact that these, these leaders may be managing all these different teams, or they may be gathering data from all these different teams to submit for audits and compliance records and quarterly controls assessments and things like that. When people are looking at this diagram, and I do like it a lot, even though it's a very, very high level and people can nitpick all they want about not everything is covered here. Does this give somebody that's interested in beginning security, how useful is this wheel? And I'm asking that as a serious question here. I think it's really useful, especially if you know maybe folks are approaching um, trying to break into security with the mindset of, you know, my options are blue team or red team, it shows that there's a lot more. Um, something else I like about this, this wheel is that it um, shows multiple pathways for individuals from non-computer science or non-STEM backgrounds to be engaged with security. And that just does not just mean white team. I think that there is a lot of room for people from kind of liberal arts humanities backgrounds to 
to do governance, risk, and compliance GRC. But we also need educators. We need people who can do really kind of elegant requirements gathering and um, specifications on the yellow team, which might be a program manager. And then, you know, purple team also has a huge program management component as well. Where do you place yourself in here? I think that I'm have come up kind of a green team pathway. I have been the entire blue team at a point, but I grew my team to the point where I was more of a kind of white team leadership with a heavy orange team bent. And I think that's my role here at Jupiter One as well, is a combination of um, kind of analysis, research, and facilitating education, both internally and with customers as well. As we look at the wheel here, what is the future of security? Is it within this wheel, all seven components working together? Is there another direction it's taking? Can we look at this wheel and say, okay, this is pretty solid. We can use this as a foundation. I think that this wheel is probably the closest thing we have right now. Um, you know, I know that AWS actually released a new DevOps model in the last few months, which they're calling the amalgamation of DevOps. Are you familiar with that, Mark? I have not heard it. The argument is basically that there is going to be some chaos on a DevOps team and that perhaps the actual DevOps workflow looks a little bit more like an infinity symbol than kind of traditional cyclical representations of the DevOps model. So I could see um, you know, the security wheel evolving in this direction where you've got kind of the ops side and the development side, um, you know, blue team, red team would be on, could potentially be on both. I think the scary part for me is, I mean, we're looking at, at all this in a simplistic sense, but when you think about the next cyber warfare that's gonna happen and it's gonna be nation states going at each other, at the level where we are right now, even at the government level, there really isn't a way to protect against nation state attacks. The attack surface is too big. Right. And the attack surface has become things like our, our utilities. Um, there was a very near miss with a water utility in Florida. Right. It was about seven months ago where um, somebody gained remote access and tried to crank up the salinity to a deadly level. And somebody happened to be looking at the right screen and caught it in time. What team was that? What color was that team? That would have been that would have been blue team. That was security <laughs> operations monitoring, uh, you know, production systems. But when you think about the fact that we have to secure our our utilities, our water, um, our electricity, that's it's really scary. Um, security is not an IT hobby shop anymore. It is about human safety. This is the OWASP podcast series. The OWASP podcast series is supported by the Open Web Application Security Project, home to over 240 community-driven security projects, including the OWASP Top 10, the Web Security Testing Guide, and the Security Knowledge Framework Projects. And by Jupiter One, helping visualize, secure, and govern your cyber asset universe.